Good morning. How are we doing? He is risen. All right, one more time. Here we go. He is risen. Awesome. Hey, great to be with you this morning. My name is Darren. I'm one of the pastors here at the Garden. I'm so glad you're joining us on Easter Sunday. This is an incredible Sunday to be here, um, and we just want you to know as a church, we are very excited about chocolate bunnies and Easter egg hunts, but we are, <laughs> we are here to celebrate something far greater than Cadbury eggs, amen? <laughs> We're here to celebrate the risen Jesus, and this morning, I really just want to do one thing. I want to talk to you about Jesus and then the implications of his resurrection for us today. That's it. And so for many of you, this is just a reminder. Uh, for some of you, you'll hear it for the first time. So before um, we, we talk about this, let's read the story so we know what we're talking about and what we're celebrating here. And so if you have a Bible, go to Luke chapter 24, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. If you want a Bible, um, there are some Bibles around the room uh, in the corners, and you can take those Bibles with you. We'd love for you to take that with you um, as our gift to you. But let's read the story. This is what it says. <clears throat> I want to talk about what the resurrection means, but this is the first kind of gospel narrative of what happened over 2,000 years ago. It says this, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they had entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, as you do, suddenly, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Amen. Verse 9, it says, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the others. Verse 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Okay, I want to make a couple of observations about the first story that we're reading. And uh, the first observation is that they didn't see it coming. You got to know this. As Christians, we have to understand that the earliest followers of Jesus, the earliest writings we have, the closest friends of Jesus did not see the resurrection coming. So things like spices and looking for a dead body that can't be found. You can go to the next slide, Alyssa. Um, looking for the living among the dead. Um, the, the, the disciples, the followers of Jesus didn't believe the women. They thought it was nonsense because they didn't see it coming. Isn't that interesting? That, that what, what this observation tells us is that if, well, for a couple of things. First of all, if you were making up the story, you wouldn't include details full of doubt and confusion, and I thought I saw a ghost, and they didn't believe me. They, it, they said it was nonsense. Why would you include those details if you were making it up? You would certainly not have women as the first people to see the resurrected risen Lord because in first century context, women, their, their, um, their, their testimonies weren't even valid in court. Unless, of course, you're telling it as it actually happened. And what we need to know about the resurrection is that the earliest followers of Jesus didn't see it coming. Are you with me? And the story continues, and um, the confusion and the doubt and the humanity of the resurrection is displayed in the narrative. Verse 36, let's take a look. Verse 36 says this, while they were still talking about this, 
Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why does doubt rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were, uh, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? Apparently the resurrection works up a big appetite. They gave him some fish <laughs> and he ate in their presence. So they don't see it coming. But, um, and what we need to know is what they did know about Jesus is that on Friday he was executed by the Romans. He died on a cross. On Saturday his body was dead and buried. And on Sunday he was alive again. And now he appears to his disciples. And another observation is that the resurrection was physical. He says, touch and see, ghosts do not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus was resurrected physically. When we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about a physical death and a physical resurrection. He was born again with a new body. Jesus wasn't some ghost. He wasn't some apparition. Jesus wasn't raised back to life in the hearts of his followers. Jesus wasn't some resuscitated dead guy. Jesus uh, doesn't continue to live as this great narrative of transformation in the stories of humanity. What we know and what the scriptures teach is that Jesus died, was buried, and was physically raised from the dead. And brothers and sisters, if you're hearing this for the first time, this is the central storyline for all things Christian. This is where we hang our hats. This is essential for all of Christianity. It is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Paul will say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which is a very Jewish way of saying some have died. Paul, who is an apostle, a church planner, wrote most of our New Testament. He wants you to know that what is essential to the Christian faith is that Jesus died, was buried, and raised again. And the way he describes it is this, that a movement was birthed around this idea that some people saw Jesus and told people about Jesus' resurrection, and then those people told some other people, and those people told some other people, and all of a sudden a movement is birthed around the risen Jesus Christ. This is what we are here to celebrate this morning. You see, here's a quote from N.T. Wright, the only possible explanation for the rise of Christianity and for its taking to shape it did was that Jesus of Nazareth, three days after being very thoroughly dead, was found to be very thoroughly and very bodily alive again. This is good news. I just needed to proclaim it this morning because this is good news. This is the good news, and it's all about Jesus. And we can make it very complex in the church, can't we? In fact, maybe some of you have experienced the complexities that we've kind of created within the church, and I know I have. 
But what I do know is that when we talk about the good news, when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about some sort of self-help gospel, some self-help concept. We're not talking about a spiritual practice that you need to follow, a spiritual ladder that will take you someplace. We're not talking about a spiritual checklist or religion. We're not talking about some philosophical existential experience. We are talking about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And this is such good news. There is no other religion. There is no other concept. There is no other movement like Christianity for this reason. And the followers of Jesus, historically, were not going around telling people, good news, everything's going to be okay. When we die, we can go to heaven. Or here's a, here's a quote, uh, uh, it's going to be okay. We're all going to heaven now. They weren't saying, hey, it's, there's good news. There's life after death. That's not the message that Jesus taught. That's not what Christianity is designed to teach. That's not what the scriptures teach. When they say good news, they're saying Jesus did what he said he would do all along. Good news. God's now in charge. Heaven has been born on earth. This was the message of Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus is just going to save you from hell or that Jesus is going to zap you out of this planet one day and put you in the clouds and give you wings and a harp so that you can sing forever in this this floating Casper-like existence. That's not the gospel. Good news is that Jesus comes to give us life before death. That his death brings life before our death. Jesus comes to give us life, and this is the Easter story. The Easter story is not the end of our story. It is simply the beginning. The good news of Easter is that God is birthing forth a new creation, and we get to participate in this new world that started 2,000 years ago, three days after Jesus was crucified and died on a cross. In the beginning... I want to tell you a story because it's so important that we get the story right. Don't you agree? Because some of you, you're hearing me talk about Jesus maybe in a different way. For the garden, we know this is, this is the way we talk about Jesus in the gospel. But some of you are guests. And I just wanted to introduce you to the story of the scriptures because it is far more compelling than, hey, there's some place you go when you die. That's not what the gospel teaches. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scripture is far more compelling than telling you what happens when you die. It tells you how to live here and now the way you were intended to live in the first place. And isn't that good news? So in the beginning, heaven and earth were overlapping, interlocked, and intimately connected. Heaven and earth were one, and God dwelled with his people in perfect relationship. It was in this perfect design that we were designed to flourish. This was the perfect envi- environment of love where all of creation would flourish forever and ever. And as the prophets, the outcasts say, forever, forever, ever, forever, ever. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um. there's, an in- there's an ongoing joke about how many times I reference hip-hop, so that's one for today. <clears throat> There it is. And so what we see is that we are designed to live forever, but in that, we all, we're also given freedom. We had the ability to choose to love and live for God or to love and live for something or someone else. And guess what we chose? Something or someone else. And in that process, humanity was corrupted. 
Sin, I'm going to fall into this pool in a second. Sin (laughs) entered into the world and death entered into the story of creation. We were designed to live forever with God, but sin and death come into the story and that's no longer a reality. And it's not hard to look at how the story went south, is it? All you have to do is look at your own life. Maybe your bank account. Maybe look at your own existence. Look at the loneliness you have, the depression, the anxiety. Look at your family system, the broken relationships you have. And you can see that life is, not in, life is not being lived the way it was intended to be with perfection. Would you agree? Or if, if, if your life is perfect, why don't you look out into the world and see that there are people around the world today that will die because they don't have enough to eat. They don't have water, access to clean water. They're living in war-torn zones, war-torn, war zones um, that are torn apart. There's human trafficking, literally people that are living as slaves today. We, all we have to do is look outside or inside and see that the world is being corrupted and destroyed. We have all participated in the destruction of this place. Don't you agree? But God, we see in Jesus, is a benevolent, loving God. Some of you don't know this about him, and I want to talk about that for a second. Because God didn't leave us to ourselves. He didn't leave the earth and all of creation to end in destruction and despair. God, as a loving God, entered back into the story. And that's where Jesus comes to play. Jesus comes into the story and begins to fulfill thousands of years of prophecy, of promises, that one day, one day God would come back and restore and, and right the wrongs and bring peace and justice and healing and restore not just people but all of creation back to itself. And Jesus comes onto the scene and he preaches that life can be lived again like it was intended to be. That a life where God's in charge is available for everyone, not just the elite, not just the perfect, but for all types of people, the worst kinds of people, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, all of those people are included into Jesus' message. And then he goes around talking about it, and then he demonstrates it. He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He lets the poor become close friends, and he says, God has favor on your life. And it was a beautiful thing, but the religious leaders in the establishment, they didn't like it, so they killed him. But Jesus went on inviting people into a message that is far greater than anything or any human has ever seen. The story of Jesus isn't about where you go when you die. The story is how do you live the way you were intended to live in the first place with the resources of heaven at your fingertips so that life can be truly lived. And Jesus comes and the religious establishment didn't like it. He preaches a revolutionary message of love and inclusion and hope and God's way of life, God's power and reign available for all. And he's killed on the cross as not some um, accident. His death was not some accident. His death was not the whim of some tyrant king. The death was a choice because the cross wasn't just a kind act of love to save people from creation. The cross was to save creation itself. It was the culmination of everything that God was working towards to a place where one day God would begin to birth a new creation in this place. And he's just rattling to remind us of that. Can you hear this? The front row can hear this. It's the wind. It's totally fine. But what we have is that Jesus, maybe I'm just distracted. I'm afraid I'm going to get something fall on me and I might fall into the pool, get (laughs) rebaptized. Some of you need to get (laughs) rebaptized, especially after last night. Just kidding. Let's keep going. You can repent later. The cross wasn't just a righteous sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, although it was that. 
But the cross ultimately ushered in a new era once and for all. It was the final act of God's reign and rule to dismantle and to disarm the greatest enemy of all, death itself. 1 Corinthians 15 says death was swallowed up in victory. How is the cross victorious? The cross is not victorious unless there was a resurrection. Amen? And so we see that the story of the gospel is this story designed for perfection and we, we failed at it and sin and death entered into the world and God found a way to redeem and reconcile all things through Jesus and then Jesus is raised from the dead and through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God enters or ushers in a whole new way of existence, a movement around this new creation, this new life and this is the point, brothers and sisters, that I really need to make, especially for our generation in our culture and our society. That if Jesus doesn't live, if Jesus isn't alive, then of all people around the world, Christians should be pitied. If we find the bones of Jesus somewhere, then there's no reason we should rally our lives and orient our lives around his teachings, around his philosophy. Because his philosophy, his teachings, the existence of Christianity hinders on the fact that he lived in human history, died in human history, and was raised from the dead in human history. And if you think that if we just apply his teachings to society and culture, life's going to be okay, it will not work. It's not enough to have good deeds. It's not enough to have love. It's not enough to love your neighbor. The only thing that matters is that God came in human flesh and was raised from the dead. That is Christianity, nothing else. That Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead. And we can't go on teaching just a good philosophy when Jesus actually raised from the dead historically, physically, and practically. And this is why, without the resurrection, none of this is true or validated. Because it's the resurrection that ushers in a new beginning. As the early New Testament writers call it, a new creation, new life. Jesus comes to, to finish what God started in the garden. And it's his resurrection that ushers us in. And what does this mean for us? Well, the resurrection means something for today. It means that you and this world matter. Do you know that? Because we talk about the resurrection and we often think of it as this historical event or something that will happen one day in the future. But what the resurrection implies is that what you do with your life, what you believe with your thoughts, what you do here and now in this world actually matters. You with me? What you say, what you think, who you help, how you live, what you believe, the resurrection gives you the resources to do and operate in this world and to live here and now. So you go to Haiti. You sit with a coworker who's lonely. You give your money to family members or people in need. You spend your life and your resources because what you believe here and now matters. It matters to God. It matters to Jesus. And it should matter to you. Easter Sunday is recognizing that what we, um, <clears throat> the, the things we do to participate in this world will keep on going in God's good and beautiful world forever because this whole world is going somewhere. It's not just something that you believe in so that it, you have assurance when you die. This is the question I have for you this morning. The question is, are you giving your life to the kinds of things that when new creation takes over, when death is swallowed up and gone once and for all, and only what is true and good are here, will the things that you have given your life to endure and go on in that good and beautiful world? How you spend your time, 
where you invest your resources, where you show up on Sunday, what you give your life to. All of it matters because God wants to fill it with true life. This is what the resurrection is for. You with me? The resurrection is about empowering you for new life. And are you living in a way that ushers in true life here and now? And the question then is, the only way to do this is if you believe that Jesus lives. Do you believe that Jesus lives? That he's been raised from the dead in human history. And it's not his philosophy and teachings that continue on, but it's the resurrected Son of God through his Spirit and his people that continues his work and mission. Because the story of the resurrection is that the story is unfinished. That what began with perfection and sin and death entered into it, and Jesus' life, death, and resurrection ushered in a new life. The story continues on, and Jesus now invites us as followers to participate in the renewal and reconciliation of all things. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him. And I just want to say to you that eventually, when you come to some point in your life, you will have to recognize a certain reality. When you get to the end of your reason, when you get to the end of your experimentations, and maybe some of you are, were like me or are like me, where you've pursued other religions, you've pursued God. <laughs> oh, you grab that and shut that off. It's a, we have a, maybe we have a direct access. That's what I want to show you. <laughs> maybe you're like me, and you've tried other religions. Or like me, you've tried spirituality and no religion. Or maybe you're like me and you've tried self-help books, meditation, mindfulness, yoga, therapy, diets, and exercise. And what you realize when you get to the end of yourself that you don't have the capacity to change anymore, you realize you can't save yourself. That there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And you realize you get to a point that you need to be saved. You're powerless over everything. You can't change your marriage. You can't change your parenting. You can't change your anger. And you realize that something or someone has to save you. And when you get to that point, you get to a place where you surrender life. And let me tell you this. There is only one God and one way that is worth surrendering to. Muhammad's God is not the God. Buddha's life is not the life. There is only one God that is worth surrendering to and is the benevolent, loving God that Jesus reveals. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you the truth. At some point, you will come to this place and you will have to recognize that he either lives or he doesn't live live because Jesus uh, reveals to us what God is like and there is no room to doubt what God is like. Jesus reveals that God is like a God who loves you as you are, not as you should be. No other religion does that. God is like a shepherd who has 100 sheep and leaves the 99 sheep and goes after the lost and lonely sheep. 
Jesus reveals that God's like a woman who has 10 coins and loses one and turns her house upside down to find the one lost coin. Or even more profound, God is like a father who gives his son an inheritance early and the son squanders it, ruins his reputation and, and thinks to himself, I can live better as a slave in my father's household. So he goes back to his father to be reconciled and makes that long journey back. And while the son is far off, the, the father sees him and takes off running to his son and before the son could say all I'm worth is to be a slave not even a son the father wraps his arms around him and says my boy you're home for you were once lost but now you're found you were once dead but now you're alive again this is what our God is like he's a God who touches lepers who heals the sick who invites the prostitutes in it's no way there's no other God you should go after other than this God he is the only God who is worth surrendering your life to and if you want to know anything about Christianity it is surrender because you can't earn it, you can't keep, you can't work after it. All you can do is open your hands and receive the free gift of grace that Jesus gives to us. And it is our belief in him and our confession that he's been raised from the dead that assures us of the life that starts now and continues for eternity. This is the good news of the risen Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the only way I can speak with such authority on such a matter is that we believe and I know that Jesus lives. And we can speak confidently about this type of God because this is what Jesus reveals in the scriptures. And this is what he continues to reveal in this life. And so if you're here and your marriage is falling apart, you're, you've lost your health this year, you're in over your head in debt, you've lost your job, you're struggling with pain and despair, I have to say to you that if death no longer has the final word, then neither does your depression, your divorce, your sickness, your cancer, your, uh, your, your failed marriage, um, your anxiety, or loneliness. None of this has the final word because we know that Jesus lives. And that's the invitation. That if Jesus lives, then you have hope, you have possibility, you have future, and for those of us that confess his, him as the risen Lord, then we have work to do in this good and beautiful world. Amen? And so I want to invite you this Easter, as we come to a close, to come and see for yourself, to touch and experience the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And may you allow him to fill you with his spirit and live your life in a way that shapes the rest of eternity with the power of the resurrection. This is what we're invited into.